News Network. An activist group threatens violence if the court doesn't play ball. Protests, threats against justices, an assassination attempt. And what comes out of Congress is more swamp gas than the bayous of East Texas. Threats from Capitol Hill, threats from the White House. Against who? Against you. So why is no one in the mainstream press talking about this? Well, we know the truth. We are the truth. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And speaking loud and proud is Dan Newman. Wait a minute. I thought Dr. Fauci was the truth. He is the science and the truth we've been told for a couple of years. Well, guess what? He's not. The truth exists in a vacuum, and it's always true. That would disqualify almost all of us, if not all of us, but especially Dr. Fauci. However... We need to find the truth, don't we? Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hump Day. Golly, these weeks are just flying by. Do you realize we're in July? We're in the dog days of summer. I can't believe we got there, but here we are, and with it comes a plethora of bad things for us to talk about. I have a lot of things to talk to you about. First of all, don't don't think we don't have information that is important to you because we do. We're going to talk about the Biden administration. I know that shocks you. (laughs) We're going to talk about our changing economy. And there's some news coming from the Department of Justice that is very unnerving to me. It really is. And of course, the 900-pound gorilla in everybody's room now is violence and deaths at the hands of gun shooters around the nation. Those are the things we're going to start with uh, today and time permitting. There are other things that we'll be talking about that we didn't mention there. And I don't think anything is going to surprise you today because we're, we're we're in a wild place, folks. And before we get to the shooting and the violence, I've got a, I've just got a few thoughts for you. I wanted to pass this down to you. Things out there that our government is doing and things that our government wants to do that they've been stopped for doing so far made me start really thinking through the entire process of how this all works. Things like uh, investigating and surveillance coming out of the CIA, the FBI. We have at least 13 different intelligence agencies under the Department of Justice. Now, can you can you in any way imagine that we need that much of investigatory operations in our government? We have the CIA. What are they supposed to do? What's their job? Is to protect us from foreign foes by gathering in, in information before any of these massive things happen, or even not massive, to keep the bad people from impacting the American nation as a as a total, in total. That's what they're supposed to do. But let me tell you what the CIA and other divisions of our Department of Justice have been doing. And what it is, is historical. It's not anything new. There was an article published last month. British security state collaborator Paul Mason's War on Rogue Academics has been a exposed. 
And that article shines a a big light on what the anti-disinformation industry is really all about. It's really not about anti-disinformation. It's about finding things that the government can use against the American citizens. This has nothing to do with protecting a gullible public, protecting us from information that might cause them to make bad or unhealthy choices. That's the excuse they give us. Oh, you got to let us do this. This is how we can protect you. And if we don't have access to this, we can't do that. I would love to think that's what it's about. But it's not. It's about creating and directing narrative after a narrative for the purpose of controlling the population and hiding truths that might overthrow the ruling government cabal and its plans for a one-world government. Uh Uh-oh, I said it, I said it, but you know what? They're saying it. People in the Biden administration are saying they're doing things to push us forward towards a one-world government. Let's talk for a minute about propaganda. It's an old humanity. It's as old as we are. But the modern version of it can be traced back to 1948. What happened then? The CIA's Office of Special Projects, they launched what was called Operation Mockingbird. Now, what is Operation Mockingbird? It's a clandestine CIA media infiltration campaign. Bet you didn't know about this. Now, this is all the way back to 1948. It involved bribing hundreds of journalists to publish fake stories at the CIA's request. They, the CIA, reportedly spent a billion dollars a year. That's about one-third of its entire budget at the time. They spent one billion a year on this enterprise. CIA recruited journalists worked in most major news organizations, including CBS News, Time Magazine, Life, Newsweek, and even the New York Times just to name a few. Later on, the campaign expanded to include foreign media as well. As reported by the Free Press, in 1976, Senator Frank Church's investigation into the CIA exposed their corruption of the media. The tactic was straightforward. False news reports or propaganda would be provided by the CIA writers to knowing and sometimes unknowing reporters who would simply repeat the falsehoods over and over again. During the Cold War, CIA propaganda disparaged communist ideologies. It's not doing that today. Today, it promotes radical ideas that bring us closer to the Great Reset, which is based on a technocratic economic system instead of good old capitalism. Media today is more controlled than ever before. Who's pulling the strings? So while this Operation Mockingbird is said to have been officially dismantled, I know this won't surprise you. There's plenty of evidence to say it's still in full operation. If anything, the system has only gotten more efficient and more effective as the number of major media outlets has shrunk over the past decades. And a vast majority of journalists and news anchors simply parrot what's reported by the three global news agencies. 
What's more, CIA is not the only intelligence agency using the media for its own propaganda purposes. The intelligence agencies in other countries do it too. For example, leak documents reveal that Reuters and BBC News received multi-million dollar contracts to advance a covert propaganda program by the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office. That's the FCO. And it was aimed at weakening Russia's influence over its neighbors. You can learn more about this in Reuters and BBC caught taking money for propaganda campaign. That's in the free press. One of the biggest changes we're seeing right now is that most of the world's intelligence agencies are controlling media in the same direction. They're all pointed at that great reset where somebody, some group, a collaborative of leaders from a bunch of different nations are just going to push their citizenry into some type of universal government and they'll have entire control of the media. That's their objective. And this is not a conspiracy theory any longer. They're admitting it now. In 1977, Carl Bernstein wrote a 75-page article for Rolling Stone. And in it was the exposure of the CIA's involvement with the media in even greater detail. Those were the days when Rolling Stone actually did decent investigative journalism. They don't now. Today, they're one of the largest spreaders of government disinformation. It's the opposite of what they claim it is. And it's not just the Rolling Stone. It's no small irony that most of the organizations claiming to give us the truth and counter disinformation, or in fact, they're doing exactly opposite in their reporting. Latest and most blatant example of this was the Biden administration's Ministry of Truth, what they call the Disinformation Governance Board. It was set up by the Department of Homeland Security. Didn't quite go as planned, though, thank God. It was announced, and then it got canceled very quickly in the face of political and public backlash. The Orwellian connotations in it were just so blatant, it scared every American to death. Few were able to dismiss them. Perhaps they overestimated the level of brainwashing achieved over all of us the past two years. They probably thought they could get away with what amounts to ripping up the U.S. Constitution in front of everybody's face. But the time was not yet ripe for that kind of frontal assault. So guess what they did? They went right back underground. They're doing the same things that leaked out of what this disinformation governance board was really going to be doing. They just went underground. If anything, doing that, it worked against them because they have suspected government uses media and big tech to censor and control narratives. And the past two years have given undeniable evidence of that being real. So the attempt to formalize this unlawful influence completely failed. It's back underground for now. Back to that gray zone story. Paul Mason one of Britain's most prominent alleged left-wing journalists and some other covert helpers were found to have targeted scholars and academics that spoke out against the establishment narrative 
on the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. This is happening right now. As explained by Jimmy Dore in a featured video, Mason is basically pretending to be a left-leaning journalist, but he's working with the intelligence community to destroy political opponents. Emails that were obtained by the Gray Zone, reviewed by Dore, show that Mason is in favor of relentless, a relentless deplatforming, getting people kicked off of PayPal, demonetized by YouTube, and so on and so on. Here's what they wrote, quote, Amidst his campaign to neutralize the UK anti-war left, Paul Mason declared in an email to several academics willing to inform on and undermine their own colleagues, he said this to them, The far-left rogue academics is who I'm after. The important task is to quarantine their soft influencers and expose and stigmatize the hard ideologist. It was a fishing expedition. It was conducted in apparent coordination with Andy Price, who's a senior British intelligence official that's involved in a series of malign information warfare and censorship. The journalist's key academic enabler, self-styled counter-disinformation researcher named Emma Bryant, not only helped further his campaign to target anti-war figures, but furnished bogus claims about one individual which appears to have inspired a BBC smear piece. Go figure. Many of these she snitched on considered her a colleague and even a comrade. The Grace Zone details how Brian introduced Mason with two individuals who would be able to furnish a meme tracing tool to determine their sources. Mason specifically wanted to find out who in Britain denies the Bukha massacre, thinks it's a false flag and or believes Russia's involved in it. And those are supposedly justification for the invasion of Ukraine. But the people Mason was most eager to trap weren't falling into his trap. They weren't publicly discussing their views. Bryant came along, then offered to provide Mason with the names of the main organizers of an academic mailing list called Organized Persuasive Communication. It's real, folks. It's run by Pierce Robinson. And that piece described by Grayson as a dissident academic talking about Pierce Robinson, who has been relentlessly targeted in the UK mainstream media. Robinson was shocked to learn that a participant on his listserv was ratting out fellow members to a security state collaborator. I'm dismayed, he said, that a former colleague whom I've supported over the years appears to have abused an academic listserv. Rather than engaging in open debate and critique, which would have been the scholarly and ethical thing to do, Bryant instead sought to support what seems to be underhand and nefarious attempts to do what? Damage reputations, but more importantly, silence critics. Doesn't it seem to you that all of the things that we have seen, the exposure of lawlessness in the Department of Justice, remember looking back at the Russia collusion hoax that everybody in government at least this government, want us to forget about. 
all those things that slipped out, all of that wrongdoing that was being done by people in our intelligence agencies, especially the CIA, John Brennan. I mean, he lied under oath in two cases that we know of under oath before the U.S. Congress. He didn't pay anything. There's no price to pay for him. Why? He's attached to this group, this cabal or whatever you want to call them. And that goes on and on and on and on. Why are they so diligently digging to find more ways to regulate media, things we see, things we read, things we hear? They want to control it all. And they have a guy in the White House that's not only allowing it to happen, he's in the middle of it. Knowing that this is out there, And I'll tell you what I'll do. I will post on the bottom of today's story at truthnewsnet.org. When we get off the air, I'll post a link to this entire thing. And the reason I want to do that, it's full of actual sources and reference. I mean, hyperlinks that everything you just heard me say can be verified. You know what the funny thing about this is for me? None of this is being covered in the United States. Britain and other countries in Europe are all over it because what seems to have happened, these nefarious intelligence guys and girls have just decided they're going to keep pushing and they have been getting away with it in the United Kingdom, maybe worse than it's happened in the United States. And the CIA thing for us, folks, nothing new. Same song, second, third, fourth, fifth verse, in the song that has been written and has been put out in the public eye, all kinds of disguises, disinformation, trying to make us believe this doesn't exist since 1948. Can you believe that? You know, we've always known there's a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes. Anytime any of this comes forward, like talking to former FBI director James Comey and the things that he did. He did it with impunity. He broke federal law, classified document federal law. Nothing happened to him. Why? He's part of this group. Clapper, Clapper, who was head of the DNI, testified before Congress and lied under oath. Nothing happened to James Clapper. Nothing happens to any one of them. If something happens, This group of people, they gather up together and get behind the offender and they put so much political pressure on those that are involved in processing whatever was done that typically they get off or if they pay a price, it's little more than a hand slap. Would that be the same for you and me? Oh my gosh. We're talking about hardcore jail time if we did this kind of stuff. Wow. Well, do you want to get into the shootings and the violence that are going on? Let me give you a good thing about it. You know what happened up in Highland Park, north of Chicago? It's really part of Chicago, a suburb, but it's up north. It's a big time, very economically sound and uh, wealthy community. And that's where this shooting happened. On July 4th, a gunman opened fire on innocent people attending the Independence Day Parade. Kill of them. Six of them were killed. 
wounding 24 others. All of this is sad, but saddest, I think, is two of the six murdered were Irina and Kevin McCarthy, parents of a two-year-old named Aiden. Aiden was with mom and dad at the parade when the shots broke out. A woman carried Aiden to safety in a nearby parking garage until a couple, Greg and Dana Ring, dropped him off at the local fire station. So here's the story that's being published today. Quote, At two years old, Aiden is left in the unthinkable position to grow up without parents. Aiden will be cared for by his loving family. He will have a long road ahead to heal, find stability, ultimately navigate life as an orphan. Thankfully, he's surrounded today by a community of friends and extended family that are today embracing him with love and any means available to ensure he has everything he needs as he grows up. He's two years old. On behalf of his family and with their permission, I am establishing a fundraiser to support him and the caregivers who will be tasked with raising, caring for, and supporting Aiden as he and his support system embark on this new unexpected journey. This is on a GoFundMe page for Aiden. Authorities, just so this will make you feel better, he's with his grandparents. His mental state in the wake of the horrific tragedy remains unknown. People across the country have donated to the GoFundMe while offering their condolences. As of, I guess, two hours ago, it was already over a million bucks. There are no words to express the emotion I feel for this child and the loss of his loving parents. I hope these donations help him create a future that his parents should have seen. That was what one user, one donator, put at GoFundMe. This is just tragic and so horrible. May the love of his grandparents and the memory of his parents guide him to a wonderful life. There we go. Another death. Needless. Just one of several. Do you realize over the weekend, July 4th Independence Weekend, in two cities alone combined, more than 115 people were shot and almost that many killed. This is the United States of America. It's not supposed to happen. It's really not. So let's dig into some of the details up there. The mayor of that town, Highland Park, Mayor Nancy Rodering, she's a Democrat, by the way. She said on NBC that the gun used in the attack on the July 4th parade goers was legally legally obtained. So the Today host, Hoda, asked Rodering, do you know anything about where the game, gun came from? Rodering responded, I don't know where the gun came from, but I do know it was legally obtained. She then called for a conversation about these weekly events involving the murder of dozens of people with legally attained guns. The mayor added, if that's what our law stands for, then I think we need to re-examine our laws. It's notable that the May 24th, 2022, this year, Uvalde attacker, he acquired his guns legally as well. As did the May 14th, 2022, 
Buffalo, New York attacker. The vast majority of high-profile public attackers over the past 15 years have gotten their guns legally. And I'll just give you a, a short list of some of them. Indianapolis FedEx attacker, April 15th of 21. Atlanta area attacker, March 16th of 2021. Parkland High School, who will ever forget it? Valentine's Day back in 2018. A Texas church attacker, November 5th of 2017. Las Vegas, October 1st, 2017. Alexandria, Virginia attacker, June 14th, 2017. Orlando, June 12th, 2016. UCLA gunman. June 1st of 2016, San Bernardino attackers, December 2nd, 2015. And this list goes all the way back to 2007. Mike Bloomberg's Every Town for Gun Safety lists Illinois as the state with the sixth most stringent gun laws in the country. Gun laws that weren't enforced. Now, wait a minute, Dan. If they've got the laws in place and people are buying these guns legally and they're then turning around and shooting and killing people with these legally bought guns, obviously the law needs to be changed. Now, let me ask you this. What law would possibly stop 100% of this? Well, the leftist Democrats, and you're going to hear from one senator from Illinois in just a a few minutes. If you listen to them, what they want is stricter gun laws. Stricter gun laws. Well, listen to this. The Highland Park Police Department seized 16 knives, a dagger, and a sword from this guy accused of shooting and killing those people in Highland Park. They took this away from him three years ago. During a press conference yesterday, Sergeant Christopher Covelli of the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force, that's Highland Park, said that law enforcement there, officials in law enforcement, had two prior contacts with the shooter. They were called to the suspect's home in April of 2019 after learning that he had tried to commit suicide. Cavelli noted the report was delayed, so law enforcement responded to the suicide attempt a week later. Covelli added that because mental health pros were handling the matter at the time, there was no law enforcement action to be taken. Highland Park police officers also visited him a second time in September of 2019. That was after he was threatening to kill everyone in his home. The next one occurred in September of 2019. A family member reported that Cremo, the shooter, said he was going to kill everyone and Cremo had a collection of knives. The police responded, went to his house. They removed 16 knives, a dagger, and a sword. Covelli said that law enforcement didn't arrest him because the victim did not sign any complaints and because at the time there was no probable cause to arrest him. The Highland Park Police Department did notify the Illinois State Police of the second visit. One of the suspects, former Highland Park High School classmates, told NBC on Monday, 
that the suspect's past was littered with a lot of red flags. Red flags, does that sound familiar to you? And let me just say this. As egregious as I feel about red flags and red flag laws, what they do, if they're used in totality to what they're designed to do, it means that police can come to your house pretty much at any time if it's known that you have a gun just by telling law enforcement people, hey, this guy's got a gun and he's been threatening walking around the subdivision with it in his hand or something like that. They'll come take the gun away from you. They'll get a court order with these red flag laws to take that gun away from you. And maybe they should. Maybe they should. This is giving ammunition to the left. What do they want to do? Ultimately, here's where they want to go, folks. They want to outlaw private ownership of guns. They want to obliterate the Second Amendment. And they're going to try to repeal it, depending on their political position, which ain't looking very good right now, is it? So I mentioned that senator that popped up about this thing. Yesterday on CNN, Senator Chris Murphy, who's a Democrat from Connecticut, he went after the red flag laws. He went after the one in Illinois. He said it's ineffective, and it certainly does appear that there was enough information about this Highland Park shooter to cause a court to cause law enforcement to go in and take his guns away. Senator also stated the gun law recently passed by the Senate would give incentives for states to adopt laws, quote, that are right now working in states like Florida, working less well, it seems, in states like Illinois. You think, Senator? My gosh, you're talking about Chicago and red flag laws there are working? We have 300 people in Chicago already being shot this year. What have we been saying here for years at TNN Live? What do we say all the time? We don't have a gun problem. We have a law enforcement problem nationwide. And this furor that began with the George Floyd shootings in 2020, this is where it really got bad across the nation. It began to spread. What began to spread? A hatred for law enforcement officers. And I got to be honest with you, in small part, looking at how George Floyd died with that officer with his knee on Floyd's neck, with Floyd lying face down on the concrete, I see why people can get upset about law enforcement. But let's back up for just a second. Let's go back up to the 20,000-foot level, looking down. What do we have? We have probably, I'm going to conservatively say, we've got half a billion guns legally owned in the United States of America. Do you think there would be any way that this government or any government could come in here and take all the guns away? And here's the problem. If they did it, if they took away that half a billion from law-abiding citizens, do you know that most of the crime that's committed in this nation is gun crimes, is committed with guns that are illegally in the hands of the shooter? 
Did you know that? So we have a U.S. Senator, Chris Murphy, who, by the way, is one of the hardcore leftists in the Senate. I have not an ounce of respect for him because what he does literally every morning, he gets up and walks outside in D.C. at his town house where he stays. He licks his finger, sticks it up in the air, and he decides what he's going to support and what he's going to go after to that day when he goes to work in the Congress based upon the way the political wind is blowing instead of what's good, what's right, what's legal, and enforcing the laws. Oh, there's more information out there. The Lake County, which is Highland Park. Lake County State's attorney pushes for gun controls. And he's out talking about them. Yahoo News noted that Reinhardt, this guy Eric Reinhardt, he's the state's attorney, he announced seven murder charges against that shooter and praised Illinois' red flag law. Just hours after the heinous attack occurred, these people were shot. These seven died and others, some of them still in bad shape. It was noted that it happened despite Illinois' red flag law and numerous other gun controls. In addition to praising his state's red flag law, this attorney, Reinhardt, called for an assault weapons ban. Here we go again. It's the same song, different verse. Every time there is a shooting like this, they go after the guns. The left goes after the guns. And you know the only justification for doing so, you and I both know, if the government takes all the guns, which it can't do, They're not going to take all the guns. They're going to take the guns from me and you, legally owned guns by individuals that did it the right way. They're not going to go after the criminals. It's too tough to do. Look how feckless most of the places are. Did you know that today, this morning, looking back two years, two years, Nationwide, we're talking about a lot of shootings. I'm not talking about just shootings. I'm talking about murders. All of those put together from 2020, 52% of the cases where people were murdered, nationwide, 52% are still pending, unresolved. More than half of The people that have been murdered, their case has not been resolved in two years. Does that sound like law enforcement's got their crap together to you? It means absolutely the opposite to me. So let's stay back up at the 30,000-foot level for just a little bit. Let's talk about the overall federal government situation. I tell you what, we're going to do that. We've got some information coming out of a poll. It will blow your mind. But it's important you hear it. That's next at TNN Live. Fresh. Hey, on Hick. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the... I I smell uh, something delicious. 
Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. So much disinformation being sowed. And let me just say this, folks. It's being sown around the nation, not just by members of the federal government, but they push it out. And it's like there is, and I, I, I don't know another term to use, and I hate to use it because when you do, it sounds like you're just one of those crazy guys that think the sky is falling and that everything's coming apart. Well, I can tell you this. I don't know about the sky falling, but everything is coming apart, at least in our government and the way we interact with our government. It interacts with us and the way we interact with people. It seems that everybody wants to weaponize everything against anybody that has a different opinion. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So here we are, Democrat administration. We had two four-year terms of Barack and Joe. And then we get a breath of fresh air for four years. Fresh air in that we had a president in the White House that didn't just talk a good story. He lived a good story, at least a good story for most Americans. Most Americans saw amazing recovery from those eight years Barack Obama and Joe Biden in every possible sector of life. Our economy was, I'm not even going to go through all that. You lived through it. You know exactly what happened. And then we come back. Joe Biden is anointed. He is inaugurated January 20th of 2021. And he's the president of the United States. It took him less than a year to destroy everything that had been put in place that was working well for the American people. You know them. I'm not even going to list them all here. I know you probably get tired of beating people and over and over again, we're telling them the same things that are happening. 
So let's go back up. I, I think we stayed up at the 30,000-foot level. A brand-new poll shows that a majority of us feel that the federal government, their actions over the past six months, have hurt our families. And that President Biden's policies have not benefited anybody, or very few in the middle class, if at all. This poll comes out of Monmouth University. It was released yesterday. It reveals that the number of Americans who are struggling financially has jumped now by double digits in the past year. Soaring inflation has outpaced wage gains and sparked a cost-of-living crisis. You know, every week or every two weeks, we get that cost of living in a family under the Biden administration and inflation that's rampant. It goes up this amount... This is going to be what a typical family is going to have to pay more just for the same stuff, goods and services from the last year. I think the last number I saw is up around $6,500 per family. Economic concerns tend to rise to the top of the list of family concerns. It always does, as it should. But the singular impact of inflation today is really hitting home right now. More and more, greater and greater every day. And our government won't talk about it. Most Americans blame Washington for their current pain. The Monmouth poll, which carried out on a representative sample of about 1,000 adults in the U.S., it shows that a majority, 57%, said the actions of the federal government just over the past six months have hurt their family when it comes to their key concerns. This is the first time ever in the history of Monmouth polling, and they've been around for a long time, that the share of Americans blaming D.C. for making their chief concern worse is now over 50%. Prior polls saw that figure vary between 34% and 47%. A paltry 8% polled said federal government policies have helped them while 34% said Washington actions have not had a meaningful impact when it comes to their main concern. Their main concern, their main concern, what is it? It's the economy, stupid. From that wizard from Louisiana, by the way, James Carville, in the run-up to Bill Clinton's campaign for his second term in office, they were talking about what it was going to take to get voters to re-elect Bill Clinton, in a panel, they were going around, everybody was giving their ideas. That's when James Carville said, none of this matters. And Clinton was just about to be impeached. It's a big deal, yeah. After everybody threw their concepts out there of what we need to do, and if we're going to win re-election, this is going to have to happen, that's going to happen, Carville interrupted him and said, no, no, no. It's the economy, stupid. That's what people look at. It's what happens to us in the last six months, in the last year, and today. So commenting on this poll was Representative Thomas Massey, who's a Republican from Kentucky. He tweeted this, People are beginning to understand that those $1,200 stimulus checks were the cheese in the trap. Just like Massey, critics of the Biden administration's policies often blame unprecedented levels of federal stimulus and the Federal Reserve's easy money policies for stoking consumer demand while doing little to bolster supply. And that always, when it happens like that, it's supply and demand. 
if you don't have enough of something, whatever of that you have, there's a clamor by people to have it, and the cost of getting it goes up and up and up. It's inflation. Inflation has been running at a 40-year high, with the most recent consumer price index data showing prices raising almost 9% in annual terms, 86 to be exact. Other measures of inflation put this figure much higher. That's hard to believe. Economist John Williams, his version of the CPI using the same methodology the government used before 1980, puts the latest figure at 16.8%, which, by the way, considering at that same weight, it's a 75-year high. Inflation has now officially been tagged as the biggest concern that American families with 33% identifying as their chief worry, this is what the poll says, 33% identify this is their chief worry. This is a sharp increase over prior Monmouth polling, which put the number in a range between 5 and 14%. Gas prices follow in number two, 15% identifying this as their main concern. This, too, is way up from prior polls. Gas ice prices have been trending down over the past several weeks. We actually saw gas at the pump today at Sam's, Sam's Warehouse, whatever they call their... Uh, their big box stores selling gas there at under $4. Andrew Gross, who's a AAA spokesperson, said that the recent downtrend could reverse as the summer mine peak driving season is here. Domestic gas demand dipped recently, took some of the pressure off of pump prices. About 80% of stations are now selling regular for under $5 a gallon. And as I said here, I'm in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was like $390, $395, something like that. Which, to be honest with you, you, you give that number, you throw that out there back in the midsummer of 2021, everybody would go crazy. But that's what we're living with right now. And by the way, I didn't even mention one of the most important parts of this poll. One of the things they asked these thousand people is the government and President Biden taking us in the right direction. You're not going to believe the number. 88% of people polled believe the president and our nation in total, our government in total, is going the wrong way. 88%. Now think about that. Who comprises that 88%? Well, you know this. There certainly are not 88% of our population that are identified with conservatism um, and the GOP, the Republican Party, 88%. What that means, folks, got a bunch of Democrats that are joining the crowd who are saying, ah, This ain't working, Uncle Joe. We need some alternative plans. Something that we haven't even talked about, hardly ever mentioned unless some big thing comes on, and it hadn't happened in decades, but it's happening today. What is that? Mortgage rates. I remember in the middle of Donald Trump's term as president, we were talking about mortgage rates at 1%. 
You remember that? I remember back in Jimmy Carter days from 1976 through 1980. I remember when we had inflation like we've never seen until today. And in that scenario, mortgage rates went up to 18%, which meant people couldn't buy houses. So what's it, what's it doing now to the mortgage situation on purchasing homes? New data from Freddie Mac shows the critical 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, most popular mortgage in this country, uh, has paused its recent steady climb, falling to 5.7% for the week ending June 30th. This is the first time it's fallen over the last month. I want to bring in Carol Founder and CEO Patrick Carroll. And Patrick, it's great to have you here. Uh, this kind of goes to the argument you've already made, and I've, you've been on the show before, that it's it's all about the Sun Belt right now. That's yeah. where the opportunity is, and that's where people should be looking. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've been acquiring properties in the Sun Belt states uh, since 2004. Since 2011, we've acquired, we've done over 20 billion in transactions. So, you know, I'd like to consider myself an expert in the space. Um, and what we saw early on was basically this is a, a lower cost, you know, business-friendly, higher lifestyle type of living, you know. Um, so first, we saw companies starting to move. Dallas, Texas, Austin, Texas, Tampa, Florida, South Florida. With the jobs, obviously the people come. And then following COVID, everybody moved out of the big cities. Everybody wanted space. Everybody wanted, you know, better weather. And, and so it's it's really brought a lot of awareness. But, but now what's happening with mortgage rates, because more, I mean, we're talking a $500 difference on a mortgage. So somebody that moved to Florida and bought or bought in Texas are now, they're saying their mortgages jump and jump and their wages may not be jumping. And that's that's a problem. It's also pushing out new home buyers who are getting kicked out of the market now. Yeah, it, We're going to see a slowdown, I think, is my point here. I think so, too. And I think people will be renting longer. Um, I think rental housing is a viable option yeah. permanently. Um, it allows flexibility and it allows people um, to adjust and, and be in these areas but not be locked in by buying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a positive for our business. The rent story is changing. Let's talk about that because you, you, your company has been raising rents, but you were just telling me before we came on the air by about 30%. Get ready for the hate mail. <laughs> um, what are you seeing in terms of renter retention sentiment in the market? Because it's not just in the Sun Belt that you're talking about where, the, where you're raising rents 30%. It's also happening in Northeast cities as well, like here. Yeah, it's a supply and demand thing. Um, you know, obviously people are not thrilled to see rent increases. You know, I think one of the important things to point out is our costs are going up. So as our costs go up, our, you know, our costs of interest, our costs of renovations, uh, our costs of our employees, you know, we need to push those increases along through rent increases. Um, now, how long is that sustainable? I'm not quite sure, but uh, it's, it's been something where we've been able to retain our occupancies are all time high. Um, so we haven't seen any slowdown in that yet. Are you seeing anybody that's out there like homeowners, not necessarily in your company, but, but a regular homeowner that's renting out their home because they see a business opportunity right now because people that can't buy are realizing they're going to have to rent? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's actually how I started in the business in 04 was buying single family homes and renting them out. And it's funny, I'm getting ready to launch another part of my business, which is single family for rent. So it's almost come full circle. But yeah, I think between Airbnb and, and you know, just buying homes to rent them out, it's a great way for people to get into the real estate business. It's interesting. Well, and that's how you did it. You're right. Let's talk about 
labor supply costs as far as new construction. Home builders are trying to catch up. We know that they are. They, they, they would love to build more homes because we still have low inventory across the country. But those inflation costs obviously are a factor. What are you seeing out there? You know, the supply chain has, has kept construction down and costs going up have, you know, make construction a little bit less viable. So we are seeing a supply-demand imbalance. Um, there's not as much affordable housing for people that want to move to these areas. So, you know, home builders can't keep up and they can't make the numbers work. Um, and now they have a lack of buyers because of the mortgage rates. So, again, this has all kind of been perfect storm uh, for the multifamily business, you know, that we've been in since 2011. I got to ask you because I get this asked. I get asked this all the time. Uh, where do you think mortgage rates are going to be at by the end of the year? Because every forecast in January has been completely wrong. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put out a wrong one, too. Uh, they're going to be higher. I think they're going to be higher. I think the Fed's going to get a little too aggressive on rates okay. uh, and then have to pull back. So by the end of the year, they'll, I think they'll be higher. They won't give a number, but they'll say hey, they're going to be higher. I can tell you, unless some drastic changes happen based on history that I lived through in Jimmy Carter days, I mentioned just a minute ago, people were paying 16% to get a mortgage rate, even if they could get it. Just think how that would change your life if all of a sudden <laughs> you, your, your payments went up nine times the interest rate. You would be paying nine times more the interest each monthly payment than you were when Donald Trump was president. That's You just can't even fathom what that would look like. But unless some things are changes made, we're going to be in that situation. I promise you. And there are so many moving parts in our economy. Little bitty things that change can make drastic differences in our financial situation as a nation. And of course, that filters down to you and me. This slipped out overnight. You're not going to like this. You remember the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that we have? It's called the SPR. It's owned by the U.S. government and specifically the U.S. Department of Energy. And what it was created to do and it's been doing is to hold on to about 700 million barrels of oil in the event of an emergency or disruption here in the U.S. But guess what is happening with some of that 700 million barrels of oil? Our economist-in-chief, Joe Biden, of course, has closed pipelines. He's killed oil and gas leases. He's refused to allow refining to expand. He's gone to war with affordable energy. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is releasing a million gallons a day into the U.S. economy. Well, that sounds good, right? Instead of doing something permanent and useful, instead of solving the crisis he created that put a gallon of gas over $5, he's looking to steady gas prices. With all that going on, his polling numbers, he's doing it for polling numbers, and it's squandering our reserves. That's bad enough. So bad that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is now at its lowest level since 1986. So when it comes to punishing the American people that he so obviously loathes, and think about it, think about what not Joe Biden says, 
But what he does, and put that up against his position about you and me, he can't be in love with this, folks. There are so many things that have happened on his watch, pretty much most of them that he initiated, that hurt us. Why does he keep doing it? What he's done, that's not enough. It's never enough for Biden. He always finds a way to take his contempt for the nation and his contempt for us one step further, which he has. You're not going to believe this. More than 5 million barrels of oil that were part of a historic U.S. emergency reserve release to lower fuel prices were exported to Europe and Asia last month. 5 million barrels, more than 5 million. And that's been confirmed. The fourth largest U.S. oil refiner, Phillips 66, shipped about 470,000 barrels of sour crude from the Big Hill Strategic Petroleum Reserve storage site in Texas to Trieste, Italy. And that's according to the U.S. Customs Department. Trieste is home to a pipeline that sends oil to refineries all across Central Europe. Atlantic Trading and Marketing, ATMI, which is an arm of French oil major Total Energies, they exported two cargoes of 560,000 barrels each. Oh, and cargoes of SPR crude were also headed to the Netherlands and to a Reliance refinery in India, one industry source said. A third cargo headed to China. We're sending our oil to the country that sent us coronavirus. Why would Biden do something like this? Why would Biden okay this when, well, this oil is about protecting America's national security. This oil can help bring down American gas prices, and he's sending it to all these countries overseas, and including China. So if you ask yourself that question, what's he doing? Why is he doing it? The answer's right there. In the words America and Americans, Joe Biden and the Democrats hate America and Americans. They hate our form of government. They want to see it change. They see all of us as the problem. You see, we drive cars. We live in big houses. We live in the suburbs. So do they. But they see themselves as the elite, as overseers. And our overseers don't want us, the rest of us, to be comfortable or independent. Independent is a key word there. They want us needy. They want us dependent. Because when that happens, it happens around the world, countries all around the world, throughout world history. When people become dependent or not independent, not taking care of themselves, not prospering based upon their input into their financial lives, when that happens, this is where the government gets its fascist power from. It happens all the time. Joe Biden and the Democrats will always put foreign countries and foreigners above Americans, especially the millions of illegal aliens they hope to replace you and me with. They hate us. They hate everything about us. They hate the U.S. Constitution and the guarantees of freedom for everybody. They hate that because that means they can't control it. Have you watched what happened in the Roe v. Wade overturned by the Supreme Court? Oh, it dissolved their brains. 
oh my gosh, they've just gone absolutely crazy. And the way they're marketing it doesn't address what this is really all about. What it's only about is the government, the federal government, watched as their control of abortion, their sole control of abortion was taken away. It didn't cancel the right to get an abortion. It just moved whether you can have one or not have one back to the states, 50 different states. That means the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision that took a huge portion of the power of our health care away from the federal government and shipped it back to the people's representatives. Today, they're deliberately increasing gas prices to hurt us. One way to increase gas prices, ship our oil to foreign countries. Another way, flood the country with millions of illegals who consume oil and housing, creating more scarcity in both and higher prices. This is all happening today. (laughs) This is nothing new. And this China thing, it gets worse. Today, Biden is traveling to Ohio, and he's doing that even as his administration is preparing to lift some of the economic tariffs on China. On China. Think about that for a second. He's going to Cleveland to talk about the growth of the economy, speak at the Ironworkers Local 17 Training Center. Recent reports say the president may act as soon as this week to lift billions of dollars of tariffs on China-made goods that are shipped here to the United States. Corporations have campaigned extensively to get Biden to lift tariffs, citing record high inflation as a reason for doing that. But here's the problem. Why does China ship so much stuff here to the United States? Well, it's because they've got their economy in a situation where they can create, manufacture, deliver things to the United States cheaper than we can do here. Joe Biden's going to talk to a labor union today. Labor union. So why is it so expensive? Much more expensive to produce these things here than in China. Well, it's because you have workers at the local 17 training center that are making much, much more money That labor union makes sure that that's the case. And in doing so, our inflation rises, our cost of living rise, everything gets more expensive. And in the middle of that, Joe Biden comes up with the idea to lift the tariffs on China. So what is that going to do? It's not bad enough that China is taking business away in the scads. The numbers are staggering right now today. Removing tariffs, what that means is China is going to make a bunch more money and are going to continue to take control of our manufacturing and our distribution. And all that money comes out of the pockets of the American people. Hey, there's a bunch of stuff. Everything is going big time now. It really is. We could spend all day talking about one of these. We spent the the first hour talking about 
the violence in America. When we come back, there's some more, a couple of more things I want to talk to you about regarding the gun violence around. And it's big. It's big. Um, Can we do something about it? Yeah, we can. We've proven again and again that there's nothing out there in law enforcement that we can't do. Back in just a minute at TNN Live. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central for Dan Newman. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah! Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. you anytime you miss one of the shows you can always grab one the story that's published each day typically not every time but almost every time the show of that day just minutes after the show goes off the air at 11 central that story's posted at the bottom of that story published that day at truthnewsnet.org otherwise you can get our show pretty much on any of the podcast sources that are out there wherever you get yours places like uh, truth social Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and even Facebook. Facebook, they warned us that they're going to pull all podcasters down. Hadn't happened to TNN Live yet, but I'm just warning you. <laughs> it's probable because Facebook is uh, Facebook that that's going to be coming down, but there's a lot of other places to get it, and I thank you for doing that. Share what we are and who we are and what we're doing with others and tell them how to come join us because we're in the middle of a big war. Hadn't turned to violence at least most of the time, but there's still a lot of violence around. We're going to talk about that in this 
last half hour of the show today. We haven't talked about what's going on at the southern border. There's really some important stuff happening there. Border Patrol agents in our two biggest sectors continue to be overwhelmed by large migrant groups that are crossing from Mexico into South Texas. Human smugglers, what they're doing is utilizing the tactic of moving large groups of migrants across to tie up Border Patrol resources. Let me give you some examples. In the Rio Grande Valley sector, agents encountered three big groups over the Independence Day weekend. Those three big groups totaled 403 migrants, including 195 family units, 52 unaccompanied minors, 156 single adults. Now that information is coming from Border Patrol. Officials identified these migrants in these three groups as citizens of Cuba and countries from Central and South America. It's no longer just people coming from Mexico, Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador, coming from all over Central and South America. In the five days leading up to our holiday weekend, Rio Grande Valley agents, they encountered eight more large groups totaling nearly 1,200 migrants. The groups crossed the Rio Grande from Mexico into Hidalgo and Star Counties. Agents identified the migrants as citizens of Cuba, along with migrants from Asia and other Central and South American countries. They included, listen to this, 638 family units, 340 unaccompanied minors, and 193 single adults. Just think about those numbers. This was in a three-day weekend. The group totaled 675 migrants. People came from Bolivia, Chile, Cuba, Colombia, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Guatemala, Iran, Mexico, Nicaragua, Peru, and Venezuela. Now, they classify a large group that has at least 100 people in it. That's according to Del Rio Sector Chief Patrol Agent Jason Owens. Currently, the Del Rio sector is responsible for more than 50% of all these large groups that are apprehended with less infrastructure and personnel that larger Border Patrol sectors have. This puts a tremendous strain on our communities, he said. Keeps our agents from doing what they signed up to do, patrolling our border and keeping this country safe. Aren't you tired of hearing about these? In the Del Rio sector, Border Patrol agents, we told you they found that very large group, 350. They caught them about five miles north of Eagle Pass. The crossing took place shortly after noon on Tuesday. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. But there are some sheriffs now. I love this idea. Sheriffs that are looking at what happens in their particular counties and towns and cities across our southern border. They're seeing what's happening and they're not getting any assistance from the federal government who are quick to tell people along the southern border, the governors of these states and the border patrol people that live there and citizens that live there, hey, we're in charge. We have sole authority over what happens at the southern border. And so Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, 
he called what's happening in Texas with this migrant situation saying it's an invasion. And because of that, the lieutenant governor said, it gives the state power to remove migrants from the country. He said the U.S. Constitution gives Texas the power to put hands on people and send them back. So Trace Gallagher interviewed him Tuesday afternoon about this crisis along the Texas border with Mexico. And the interview came right after a Texas border county declared the migrant surge to be an invasion. Some counties in Texas are ready to declare an invasion in their counties. Lieutenant Governor said, we had 230-some thousand cross the U.S. border just last month. And those are the ones, only the ones, that we apprehended. We're being invaded, Patrick stated. If we're being invaded under the Constitution, I think that gives us the power to put hands on people and send them back. And then Kenny County Judge Tully Shahan, he described the conditions experienced by residents of his county as thousands pour across the border from Mexico into Texas every day. Thousands. We're taking these steps in hopes of encouraging our governor to acknowledge this is an invasion on our border and take the necessary steps to preserve and protect the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Texas, the judge said. Several county judges in attendance to this meeting supported the declaration of invasion and urged Governor Greg Abbott in Texas to do the same thing. So far, Abbott hasn't said anything about it. But they didn't rule out a declaration from Austin. All strategies remain on the table as Texas continues stepping up in the federal government's absence. This is coming from the governor's spokesman, Renee Easy in a written statement. While President Biden ignores the ever-growing humanitarian crisis and congressional members visit the border for photo ops and then they go back to Washington to do nothing, in the midst of that, Texas has deployed thousands of Texas National Guard soldiers and Department of Public Safety troopers and allocated over $4 billion of Texas taxpayer money to secure our southern border. You know, that thing that the federal government keeps telling all the government, we have sole control over it. They're not securing it. They don't want to secure it. They're fine with all these immigrants coming in. And these states and counties and towns and city are paying the price literally. Think about that number. Texas, over $4 billion of Texas taxpayer money to do what the federal government constitutionally is responsible for. They remind all these people, these law enforcement people at our southern border, they're the ones, they have sole authority, and then they don't do anything. In fact, the things they do, they're encouraging these illegals to come in. Now, the next thing, it's got to happen. The next thing in this whole conversation is, what is Texas going to do? What is New Mexico going to do? What is Arizona going to do? And what about California? You can bet this. Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, he's going to do something. The people of Texas are up in arms. This is costing people along the southern border and people all across Texas, which is our biggest state. It's costing those people billions of dollars themselves. And doing that when Joe Biden's federal government 
pretty much laughs about it. It's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. And let, let me just illustrate one thing to you about the Biden administration. In Arizona, you won't believe this. It's so egregious, I can't believe any government would do this. They passed the law in Arizona. And the law said anybody that votes has got to have proof of identity and show they're a resident of where they're voting. Even illegal immigrants. Well, the Biden Department of Justice, they don't like it. You can't do that. That violates a previous voting law of the federal government. Well, the Department of Justice is now suing the state of Arizona to block a law that would require proof of citizenship to register to vote in Arizona. Cheryl Cassoni with the details now. Cheryl. Well, Maria, the Justice Department maintains the Arizona law violates the National Voter Registration Act of 1993 and the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Set to take effect in January, it requires proof of citizenship, such as a passport or birth certificate, for a voter registration form. Arizona's Attorney General Mark Burnovich telling Fox News, quote, in addition to free rooms and transportation for those illegally entering our country, the DOJ now wants to give them a chance to vote. In a letter to the DOJ, Burnovich said he's willing to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. All the way to the Supreme Court. Well, let me just give you a little tip. I'm not a constitutional attorney. I'm not an attorney attorney at all. But I have, because of all this stuff happening over the past few years, I read a bunch of federal immigration laws. And I think it's going to be a tough sell for the Department of Justice to get the Supreme Court to agree with them that there's something unconstitutional about requiring proof of citizenship to vote. You know why? Because it's the state's authority. It is not the federal government's authority. Unless something specifically counters a provision that's laid out in the Constitution about voting and says there's something there, it's wrong, unconstitutional, because the Constitution says you can't require somebody to provide proof of citizenship and that they're a legal resident where they stay. It doesn't say that, but that's the opinion they're going to have to sell to the Supreme Court if it goes that far. But you know what the obvious crazy thing about this is this is the federal government the u.s department of justice that is suing a sovereign state because that state is requiring anybody that votes to make sure they're a citizen of the united states and that they're legally registered to vote in whatever district in which they're voting and the federal government says that's unconstitutional I I just can't believe this kind of stuff is happening. All of this is happening. While I got to be honest with you, I'm looking at this administration and I'm looking over my shoulder back in, in the 1970s. There was a previous president that had similar poll numbers as this president does. And he got busted. He initiated... The Watergate debacle that happened. I'm talking about Richard Nixon and his presidency. And he was impeached because he sent people to break into the Democratic headquarters in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. 
trying to find information. Now, this is a Republican doing that. Well, it went national, it went international, and uh, a couple of media sycophants picked up on the story, and I say sycophants because it was good they put together what they did then because it exposed that administration for breaking laws, federal laws. And in the wake of it, a bunch of people went to President Nixon and told him, look, this is, this is unfixable. Somebody's going to pay a price for this, and they're coming after you. You will be impeached. you got to leave office. What is happening now in the Biden administration to me, not the details of the specific actions, but back up at that 10,000-foot level and how his actions are impacting Americans, and every day it seems like we get another tidbit of news about the wrongdoing of Joe Biden. And here's, here's the, I think it's a stupid thing that is coming out of the White House. They, on Tuesday, they refused to address an uncovered voicemail from President Biden to his son Hunter advising Hunter about a New York Times report on his business dealings in China. And the White House won't answer questions about it. Corinne Jean-Pierre said this, I'm not going to talk about alleged materials on Hunter's laptop. It's not happening. I refer you to Hunter's representative. Well, this recently uncovered voicemail, I'm sure you've already heard it, was found on Hunter Biden's laptop that was abandoned in a repair shop and recovered by President Trump's allies during the 2020 presidential campaign. I thought the article released online it's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, New York Times, was good. This is Biden. This is in the voicemail. I think you're clear. I think you're clear, Biden says. And the recording came from 2018. So what the president was talking about was a 2018 New York Times article on Hunter Biden's business dealing with Yi Jinming, a Chinese oil executive, who headed CEFC China Energy Company. And so audio that voicemail was put online by the Republican National Committee. We've played it for you here at TNN Live. Peter Ducey of Fox News yesterday, he asked Jean Perry how the president can be taken seriously when he claimed he's never spoken to his son about his son's business dealings. Biden said this, this is a direct quote. I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Biden claimed that in September of 2019. But Jean-Pierre stood by Biden. What the president said stands, she said. Arthur Peter Schweitzer, by the way, detailed Hunter Biden's relationship with the CEFC China Energy Company in his book Red Handed. The Chinese company paid him nearly $6 million dollars in 2017 and of course everybody's out there everybody's out there talking about even democrats are talking about the purported connections between hunter biden his overseas businesses and our president and every day it appears more and more like president biden's got his hands dirty in this mess oh my gosh i can't do that He's the President of the United States. Again, as we open the show today, we talked about the underlying theme of all this stuff that's going on. 
and it has to do with government. It has to do with government getting bigger, government controlling more and more and more. And some of the stuff that's happening, it flies in the face of those people that they're all over doing that. Call it a great reset. Call it a big government push, whatever it is, one world government. It's very obvious we're watching it happen before our eyes. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky barbecue. Cheddar sour cream salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. First combination rock and rap songs put together, Walk This Way. It seems like it was a, a light year ago that that song came out. And boy, it changed music, or big time, it changed the Americans' thinking about what uh, popular current business looked like and what it should be. So let's get back to business as usual. Here's a good one. Democrat Governors Association, the DGA released a plan to raise $10 million for candidates that are running for election, some re-election, in crucial swing states. Now, this is according to their website, the Democrat Governors Association. The Protect Reproductive Rights Fund. Uh Uh-oh. What are they talking about? Oh, they're going after the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Hmm. This fund is going to allow candidates in states whose legislatures have already passed pro-life legislation to draw funds for their campaigns. And this is printed on that website, the Democratic Governors Association. The fund is being chaired by Democrat New York Governor Kathy Hochul, Hochul, however you say her name, H-O-C-H-U-L. Her state has some of the most pro-abortion laws in the nation. Candidates in states like Pennsylvania, Texas, Ohio, Arizona, Georgia, Kansas, Florida, Wisconsin, and even Michigan are eligible to receive the money raised by this new fund. The goal, $10 million 
for the candidates in the midterm elections. You knew it would be politicized. Every dollar donated to the Protect Reproductive Rights Fund goes straight to supporting incumbent Democrat governors and electing Democrat candidates for governor in one or more of those states. Democrat candidates have previously signaled their intent to cash in on the Dobbs decision. That's the decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. It returned the power to restrict abortion procedures to the individual states. And as candidates in key races in states such as Pennsylvania, they immediately seized on this opportunity to rally their base in their states and raise money. We flatly, now this is a tweet by Governor Hockle in New York. We refuse to stand by while the Supreme Court attacks the rights of New Yorkers. She said, I am issuing a proclamation to add equal rights to the legislature's extraordinary session agenda to enshrine the right to abortion access in our state constitution. I can't believe we have a governor that's doing that, even a governor from New York. Because, guess what? Guess why? The U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled abortion is legal in and if any states of the 50 make it legal there. Why is Governor Hockel going crazy? You know why. We talked about it at the beginning of the show ad nauseum. What they're going at is not about abortion. It's not about the right to abortion, or it's not about making it legal or making it illegal. It's not about abortion itself. It's about the power that this group of sycophants at the top of our government that have sold their souls to this big worldwide government or group of governments, whatever you want to call it, that they're building it, and they're telling us. Now they're telling us. They're building it. And the one thing they've got to have to get the job done is power. Power over every political issue that comes up. And it's not just in the U.S. It's in nations around the developed world that are agreed to and are part of this thing. The governor said, states have an important role to play in safeguarding access to abortions. They must continue to fight to protect reproductive rights. We can look to Washington for leadership. That's important. But also the power does rest with the states, she said. And we've known all along that we're the ones who are the firewall between what the Supreme Court does and doing what we can to protect the rights of our women. While the Democrats scramble to get this money raised, and they're going to use it to rally their base, listen to this. Only 8% of Americans view abortion as one of the top five important things when voting comes up in the midterms. And this is according to a poll conducted by Republican State Leadership Committee. Economic issues like inflation, the overall health of the economy, far outweighed the importance of abortion in the minds of voters. And you know why? It's because the Supreme Court, in spite of what they told everybody, they being the Democrats, this is going to make abortion illegal. It's absolutely not that. They did not, in their decision, the Supreme Court, they didn't even think about that. 
what they thought about was the federal government constitutionally should not and does not have power to regulate abortion anywhere but within their own borders. If they want to do it in their states, craft laws. Craft laws. After all, when the country was founded, when the Constitution was written, that was the biggest issue of concern to those who were part of that process, that the federal government would get too big, would get too powerful, get too much power over the states and therefore over individuals. That's why they gave us the first 10 amendments of the Constitution to make sure all those that serve in our federal government understand you can only be the representatives of the people that live in your states. That's what your job is. It's a state-by-state issue. And unless the Constitution plainly delineates anything about any issue, the federal government has no control over it. Unless the people give them control. How do the people do that? Through their elected legislatures. I mean, that's the constitutional way. And the Supreme Court did not. It's not about a woman's health care or to protect the rights of women. It's to protect the viability of the freedom that's guaranteed to every American that our federal government won't illegally start making things happen, ruling against the American people, the only entities that have that right, according to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's not the Constitution. The Constitution plainly says the people's representatives have the authority to do things like this, unless it is specifically detailed in the Constitution. It would take an amendment, and I can't see that ever happening. Why? Because abortion is now legal. It's still legal. It's a state by state. Now let me give you an idea about this climate change and the push for it that's changing all of our lives even as we speak today. It's not just affecting us here in the United States. It's not about gas prices at the pump here in the United States. It's not about a shortage of the availability of so many things because of this and Joe Biden and his egregious issues and decisions that he's made and pushes them out to the American people that are just devastating. It's happening around the world. You want an example? Dutch farmers, they used tractors yesterday to block roads, to block supermarket distribution networks, to protest government-mandated emissions reductions that threaten the livelihoods of every resident. Over 40,000 farmers have taken to the streets in recent weeks. They're protesting climate-related regulations that the Dutch ruling coalition, listen to that, not the Dutch government, the Dutch ruling coalition in itself concedes would force upwards of 30% of farmers out of business. Farmers have dumped hay bales on roads They've left manicure, a manure, outside government officials' homes and blocked highways and other critical infrastructure to protest these regulations. A government spokesman said this, the honest message is that not all farmers can continue their business. A spokesman said that in June 
announcing these new emission targets. The farmers contend they're being unfairly targeted by the regulations and losing out on their future prospects. The Netherlands' largest airport urged its travelers on Monday to use public transportation to get to its terminals because of the fears that the farmers' blockades would target airports. Fishermen have also blocked a number of harbors this week in solidarity with farmers. So what's the government over there saying about this? Well, the Dutch Ministry of Agriculture, Nature, and Food Quality said that the present emissions reductions and resultant black backlash trace back to a 2019 court ruling that found the Netherlands was not doing enough to protect its natural areas. So using that rule, the Dutch government introduced targets last month to cut in half nitrogen oxide and ammonia emissions, both of which are present in large quantities in livestock manure. Harken back to right after she got in Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when she was talking about gas emissions in our climate, what we needed to do. She actually said we need to reduce the number of cows. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. In my home, we reduce the number of cows pretty regularly, and that happens around the world. But she was talking about this. Ruling found that the Netherlands was not doing enough to protect its natural areas. They wanted to cut in half. This is the new target. Half nitrogen oxide and ammonia emissions, both of which they come principally from large quantities of cow manure. So let me just give you a little bit of the uproar over there by these people. Farmers, they're going crazy. We can't invest. Our fathers, our uncles can invest in our futures. And as young farmers, we have no prospect of taking over a farm. Now this is a 23-year-old Dutch dairy farmer that said that. The Netherlands today is the largest exporter of meat in the European Union. They exported almost $100 billion worth of agricultural goods in total in 2019. The protests come as the world faces food shortages brought on by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I will interject this. That's what is alleged at this point. And I'm sure that's part of the problem. But it's certainly not all of it. Some fear the ongoing supply disruption caused by the protest could increase prices in the Netherlands and beyond. Over the weekend, the Dutch government appointed Johan Rimke to lead talks between farmers and government officials that are responsible for crafting the emissions reduction regulations. Dutch farming lobby, LTO, described Rimke as an administrative heavyweight with deep knowledge of the issues and said it's open to talks with him. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean? Well, it means that we're not the only ones that have a government that just have lost their minds. There's got to be ties to this whole thing. Oh, here we go. Dan's got a conspiracy theory in his brain. It's no longer a theory, folks. What we need to find out now, we need to just take it as fact. There is a big push for a global government 
whether it's one government or whether it's a formal relationship between the leaders of governments of a multiple of, of uh, countries. It's there. And you can't argue with that. It's there. What's happening worldwide is governments are trying and they're being very effective in some areas to seize total control over the people in these countries. Now let's talk about something we hadn't talked about in a while. And it kind of fits into this narrative we're in today. Pfizer Corporation, you know who they are. One of the biggest pharmacy companies in the world. By the way, Pfizer's headquarters, world headquarters, is in Zurich, Switzerland. I've been there. And it's massive. I always thought Pfizer was an American company. Well, they've got big, big presence across the United States. They have a U.S. headquarter up in, uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's Massachusetts. I think it is Massachusetts. But anyway, up in the Northeast. They doubled their revenue from year 2020 to year 2021. Why? How? Well, they brought in more than $81 billion. They gained a large foothold in the American regulatory process. Money talks. Money walks. CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla. Other top execs have said they plan to continue taking advantage of, guess what, the COVID-19 market. It's not over, folks. They're going to keep it going for a foreseeable future, they say. Here's what Borla said, and this is a quote. Hopefully, we could be giving it annually, and maybe for some groups that are high risk, more often. Borla's talking to investors, referring to COVID-19 booster shots, and vaccines tailored to those specific variants. Then you have the treatment, Paxlovid, that will, let's say, resolve the issues of those that are getting the disease. Some patients have experienced issues with rebound infections with Paxlovid, cases where they begin experiencing stronger symptoms again after completing their series of the antiviral pill. That won't stop Pfizer from selling millions more doses, though. Executives from Pfizer are telling us people are going to go and get it out there. The president of Pfizer Biopharmaceuticals Group said, We know with all of that, infections are going to increase, and that's the role that Paxlovid can play. So this was on a phone call, an investor phone call. Dr. Michael Dolston on the call described immunocompromised patients as an opportunity financial growth area for Pfizer. The company is now approaching Paxlovid's failure to neutralize the virus, and they're looking at it this way. Follow the money. Follow the money. They're looking at it as an opportunity to give patients more treatments. They may carry this virus for a very long time, he said. And we see that area as a real new opportunity of growth for Paxlovid to do very well, where you may need to take multiple courses of it. In addition to making more than a projected $50 billion in revenue in 2022 from the vaccine and Paxlovid rolled in, Pfizer is now exerting an outsized influence over federal agencies like the FDA. Leaders at the company, Pfizer, 
They've been ahead of the public health officials all the way through this thing when it comes to guiding the response to COVID-19, the pandemic, such as when Borla announced in the summer of 2021, months before public health officials, that Americans would likely soon need a booster shot. Borla was a couple of months ahead of the FDA in suggesting that Americans are going to need those boosters. Profitability could surge even further. He said the price of both Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine and Paxlovid will increase in the future once society has passed the pandemic period to reflect the cutting-edge technology at Pfizer. So there's another way Pfizer has exerted influence over the federal government. I bet you can't guess what it is. Government political donations. It made about $3 million in donations during the 2020 election cycle, more than any other drug company. It has also spent more than $25 million in lobbying, going to 19 different firms since early 2020. In addition to the billions already spent on COVID-19 vaccines, our administration, Uncle Joe and gang, just made another purchase of what? This year's fall vaccination campaign. How much did we spend? The order is for 30, excuse me, $3.2 billion for just the fall campaign. And we, you and me, the taxpayers, Biden's writing the check, bought 20 million courses of Paxlovid at more than $500 a pop. And that's over the $3.2 billion of the straight vaccination campaign with COVID-19 vaccines and boosters. Wow. Some other medical news. A bunch of medical professionals are pushing back against licensing investigations that are based on their statements that challenge both long-standing and recent medical orthodoxies. Things are changing. Federal government gets in it. They help things be the changes and initiate changes and evolve in the changes. They do it for purposes that are to help and assist them, the government, more than the people. One 30-year veteran of pediatric medicine filed a $35 million lawsuit against Oregon regulators for enforcing CDC vaccine recommendations while British Columbia authorities dropped a medically inaccurate charge against a nurse for defending sex-based rights against gender ideology. And investigations have just gone through the roof in the COVID era. The highest profile target is Minnesota Republican gubernatorial nominee Scott Jensen. Now several months into his fifth investigation for allegedly promoting civil disobedience against President Biden's employer vaccine mandate, which, by the way, the Supreme Court later blocked. Referring to the State Board of Medical Practice, the family physician recently vowed the juggernaut will be dealt with if he's elected. A new poll shows the medical profession, like Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, wants to escalate the purge. A plurality, that's 37% of doctors in MedPage, today's reader poll, which included medical students, favored license revocations, 
for spreading this disinformation, misinformation about COVID-19. And included in that are people speaking out against masks, saying masks, masks don't protect the individual, and advising against life-saving vaccines. Managing editor Ian Ingram told Just the News it had 366 respondents. Portland area pediatrician Paul Thomas suing current and former members of the Oregon Medical Board, one of whom, by the way, unsuccessfully ran for a Democrat congressional nomination this year. What's the suit about? Destroying his medical practice, his marriage, and his peace of mind. The OMB, Office of Management and Budget, it's a federal agency, they objected to Thomas giving parents' information on health outcomes for kids who get the full CDC-recommended vaccine versus those who don't. Publishing a different schedule in his book from 2016, The Vaccine-Friendly Pan. State regulators believe physicians must strong-arm parents that are resistance, leading many pediatricians in the Beaver State, Oregon, to refuse to treat their children. OMB issued an emergency suspension of his license in December of 2020 for a schedule that decreases the frequency of many recommended vaccines and amidst others, including rotavirus, but didn't give Thomas a complaint and notice of proposed disciplinary action until April, until April of last year. The suit claims what he's doing violated Oregon law which requires simultaneously commencing proceedings and would let the Office of Management and Budget indefinitely deny doctors their right to obtain and review the board's investigatory file on them to use it for their defense in a, in a pleading. Do you see what's happening here? Our government is stepping in and trying desperately to take over every individual right of every organization, every company, every doctor, every person in the media, they want to take it all over and control for power. In his suit, this is kind of interesting. CDC vaccine recommendations are just that, recommendations, he said. In other words, he's saying you can't push. You shouldn't be pushing. You ought to give people accurate information about the good and bad on anything we give them from the medical community and let them make their choices. He's saying the government is taking over and that's unconstitutional. Now the June 30th lawsuit, it doesn't mention COVID whose vaccines received emergency use authorization monthly after his suspension. Thomas says the OMB has continued scouring the earth for material to charge the pediatrician since his conditional reinstatement a year ago. He's received one investigatory letter after another. They required him to stop discussing vaccinations with his patients, limit his practice to acute care, and exclude patients from his research under a June 2021 interim stipulated order. Months later, it issued him an amendment complaint, and they proposed discipline. Thomas still has his license, as of July 5th, by the way. Now, I brought this to you for one reason and one reason only. I wanted you to see how deep the tentacles 
of this whole process go. And it's deep. How deep it goes and what obviously is the long-term plan for all of this. And it can only point at one thing, total government control. Doing so, obviously, they've got to kill the capitalist free market system here in the United States. What will that do? It'll force us all to go somewhere else. We can't work. We can't invest. We can't be entrepreneurs and build a company that's providing goods and services to the American people. We will no longer be able to do that. So what do we have to do? We have to rely on Washington, D.C. for pretty much everything. Don't let anybody tell you that's not at least a huge part of what this chaos in Washington is all about. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say the What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers Man Coach. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. My goodness. That sounded a little grandiose to me. <laughs> what about you? I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm just a guy out there. I'm a plebe. I'm, uh, I'm not in charge of anything, folks. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> she controls everything that I'm supposed to have an opinion about. Couldn't get away today without bringing you a story that it kind of caught my attention overnight. One MSNBC contributor, now remember, this is MSNBC. They're probably more in the tank than anybody else in national and international media, even more so than CNN. This guy delivered a reality check about all the calls to abolish the filibuster. Now this is 
a far leftist, and he says its removal, the filibuster's removal, would be a horrible idea. I don't think it's wise for a whole bunch of reasons. This guy Matt Lewis said, he's a conservative columnist at the Daily Beast, but being a conservative columnist at the Daily Beast does not mean you're conservative. It means you're probably a little more to the right of most of the people you work with. He said, you know, first, obviously, I think Joe Biden was elected to restore normalcy and institutions and norms and blowing up the filibuster, I think, is the opposite of that. Democrats and liberals have called for the elimination of the filibuster to advance abortion, gun control, and voting rights legislation on multiple occasions. Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona have rejected the idea of ending the filibuster, and their doing so would have to happen to get enough support to actually abandon the filibuster. Remember back in 2013, Mitch McConnell warned Harry Reid, if you nuke the filibuster for most judicial appointments, you're going to regret it, and probably sooner than you think, he said, Lewis. McConnell ended the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees in 2017 when Democrats tried to block the nomination of Neil Gorsuch in the Supreme Court. Republicans later confirmed Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Now, what does this mean? It means that there is a Democrat or two (laughs) that are thinking about this reasonably, and we need that to happen. Hey, listen. Thank you for sharing your Wednesdays with us. We're glad to be with you anytime, and it's important to us that you come along. We really appreciate you. Don't forget to check out today's article at truthnewsnet.org, a guest report. It'll light you up. It's really important. You have a great Wednesday. God bless you all, and we'll see you tomorrow right here at TNN Live. For the second show
Oh 